I uh, have been thinking about all that has changed just in my lifetime. You ever stop to do that? You ever stop and think about all the, the major changes that have taken place throughout your lifetime? It's, uh, it's really astounding when you start to think about that. And it doesn't take very long for you to start piling up uh, a pretty impressive list of all the things that have changed and how drastically they have. Um, so I've, I've thought about that, and uh, I wanted to share a few of my observations personally about some things that have changed just in my lifetime and have changed drastically from how they were to where they are. Um, one change is that uh, before, if you wanted to share music with someone or uh, have personal music that you listen to, uh, it wasn't available on this device or these devices where I have, I don't know how many thousands of songs on, you know, the, on the cloud. That wasn't there. The cloud was what you looked at in the sky. Uh, there was no storage thing called the cloud. And so, um, you know, I have so many songs on here, but if I wanted to share them with, say, um, my, that special person, you know, that special girl that had my heart, at a very early age, my wife, my high school sweetheart, um, I had to do what uh, many of you will remember this term. I had to make a mixtape. Who, who remembers what a mixtape is? Okay, several of you, good. So, yeah, I have in my hand, I have a mixtape that I made uh, for, for Leanne, and uh, this was actually after I had already graduated, and she was still in high school, I think, at this point. Um, but uh, I put all these different songs that meant a lot to me and meant a lot to her, meant a lot to us. It was just, you know, so syrupy sweet, right? And uh, I would even, at the end of whatever playlist, that's another term that's fairly recent, um, at the end of that, I would actually talk to her. I would actually say things on the tape to her, all mushy and romantic. Yeah, this doesn't happen anymore. Um, I, I'm still mushy and romantic, okay? It's just I do it in, in different ways now. Um, the other thing that has changed is uh, if I wanted to express that romantic, mushy sentiment, um, the only text that was available was to actually write out text on paper. Amazing, Right? Yeah, you'd actually get a pen or a pencil and write a love note. And, uh, and I would, and so here's actually, I'm not going to read this. You should be thankful. It's really bad. I mean, it's just like, wow, uh, I, I think I needed to see some, some pro- seek from professional help, you know, with uh, some of the things that I expressed here. But anyway, um, I would actually, you know, sit down and write out a letter or a note, and I would stuff it in her locker, you know, Many of you probably did that. Uh, that was probably your experience as well. Um, and now, you know, though, if you want to say something to someone, you, most of us, we get out and we make our thumbs go as fast as possible and, and we write out all these different texts to people, right? Um, so that has changed. Uh, the, the other thing that just continues to change all the time is the, the device in which we communicate. So you see a picture up there of uh, an example of some of the cell phones through the years. Um, some of those are pretty ancient, right? And this doesn't even include what happened before 
the, the farthest left, that's the oldest in this picture, but by no means is that the oldest type of cell phone. Uh, who here remembers the car phone? Who remembers the car phone? Who had a car phone? Or it was also called a bag phone. Yeah. Man, those things, you could get reception in Antarctica. I mean, those were amazing. Um, and then after the bag phone, you had what was called the Zach Morris phone. It's, it's what's been, you know, referred to as that because saved by the bell, Zach Morris, he kind of displayed the first really cool non-car cell phone. And it was a monster. It was bigger than the one on the left. Uh, I mean, it was like carrying around a brick. Uh, who had one of those phones? They were big and gray, had the really thick antenna. Anybody have one of those? Cormie did, of course. Of course, Cormie did. And then uh, they started getting smaller. So that's when you, you have the one on the left. And then they went really small. Um, I, had, uh, I had that Motorola one right there. And then I had uh, some Nokia. You guys remember Nokia? Had some of those. And then they went to the, the flip phone. And everybody had to have the flip phone. And different models of the flip phone came out. And then, of course, we went to the smartphone. And that changes about every six months now. So it's really hard to keep up with. But that's, uh, you know, that's cell phones, and that's how much cell phones have changed. Uh, what about TV? Think about how much TV has changed. My goodness. Um, went from little boxes with really bad reception to monster screens with this crystal clear LCD, HD, and even though some of them are still pricey, comparatively with what you get, man, these things have gone down quite a bit in price. I mean, you can get a really good big size TV for a fraction of what you would pay in the equivalent back in the day. So things have really changed. And I love when I go back and watch um, old basketball games and old sports on TV from like the the 80s and the 90s, uh, because that's what we've been forced to watch now, right? Old sports. And uh, my girls will come in and they say, how can you stand to watch that? And they, because they're talking about the quality of the image is just so terrible. And it is now compared to what we have at our disposal. But then it was just not normal. It was common. And so, you know, especially even more than me, some of you remember how far TV has come uh, from the little tiny box or a really big box that had just a little screen and, you know, black and white and grainy, and then it went to color, and then we're at where we are today. And kind of along with TV, uh, something that my wife and I are constantly telling our children that they've missed out on by way of experience is going to the video store to rent a video. Blockbuster video. Man, I miss Blockbuster. Who Who is like me? Who misses Blockbuster? Good, good. I'm not alone. Blockbuster video. It was all about the experience. Driving to the video store, getting out, seeing that beautiful blue sign, walking in, going aisle after aisle, picking up the, the video case and looking at the description of the video. There was no trailer accessible on your a mobile device didn't work like that. So you looked at the description, looked at the picture, said, I think I'll try this out. And of course, it was mostly, as you see the sign, it was VHS. I still have to remind our girls what VHS is. We've had this conversation many times. I still have to remind them of it. And so, you know, it was video cassettes. And you could even rent a VCR if you didn't have one. And then it went from video cassette to DVD, of course. Now, DVDs are 
practically on their way out because everything is digital and streamed, right? We have Amazon Prime and we have Vudu and we have, of course, Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, that's changed too. This is what Netflix started out like. And again, it was an experience. There was something thrilling about the idea of waiting for the mail to come and to get that video that you were going to watch, that next movie. And my wife and I went through um, several series at the time, and it was agonizing because when you finished one season or even one part of the season, you had to wait for the mail to come to find out what happened next. It was terrible and yet wonderful at the same time. It was great. And then from Netflix, the mail-in little slips, it went to, of course, what we have now, uh, streamed on any device all the time, 24-7. Um, it's changed quite a bit. And then we come to this year. Think about all that has changed just in this year, just since January. Have you thought about that? Have you taken time to actually maybe sit back and think about all the different things, the monumental paradigm shifts that have taken place all throughout the world in and out of our lives just since January? I'm, I mean, of course, we, we all know um, what started really at the beginning of the year, and that's the, um, the awful coronavirus that everybody had hoped would be gone and done with by now. Obviously, it's not. Cases are continuing to climb, and we're kind of in the middle of another surge with that. Um, And uh, so who knows, really, when the end is going to be in sight of that. But coronavirus has truly changed everything, everything. And really, it's changed everything for a long, long time after the coronavirus itself is is over, Uh, just I have very little doubt that uh, everything will go back to the way it was pre-corona. It probably won't. It's, it's changed the fundamentals of society. And uh, really, at the same time, of course, we know what's uh, still happening um, in the form of violent riots and, and the unrest that's taking place. Um, it's terrible. And, and what started off uh, in a response, you know, to a, a tragedy and certainly an example of injustice has just gone completely out of control and, and now has nothing to do with the issue itself that, that really supposedly started all of it. I mean, it, it's in no way connected now. It's entirely something different. It's not honoring any of the victims of, of those uh, initial actions. It's just out of control. Um, and it's gone from localized things to now anywhere that there's uh, an old statue or monument in history that is not uh, in any way an attempt of, of saying something about other people being less than human. It, the, the masses have decided that it is. They've decided that every statue you know, has some sort of racist connotation to it, and so everybody's just uh, trying to tear down all kinds of statues everywhere, whether it has bearing or not. Um, it, as I said last week, the world has lost its collective mind. I, I mean, there's, just, there's insanity and chaos and disorder and anarchy everywhere you look. Um, not only is coronavirus still raging, but the fires of hate and the fires of violence and the fires of anger and selfishness and self-centeredness are also raging everywhere we look. And so what I think we can all agree on 
is that change is just a constant reality, and things keep changing, and things are so inconsistent in life and in our world that we are desperate, all of us, to find some sense of constancy. We're, we're desperate. We're all hungry for something that is stable, right? Something that remains the same in the midst of all the change all around us. And that's why it's so good to know in the midst of a constantly changing world and life, we have a God who never changes. That's why it's so encouraging to know that. And, and I just want to remind you, church, and I want to say to everyone, you don't have to look very far to find consistency. You don't have to look very far to find a source of stability. You just have to look to God because He is a God that never changes. And that is what makes this next name in our What's in a Name series as we're going through and looking at the divine names of God as revealed in His Word. And as we study that and seek to apply that, we, we look at these names and we're asking ourselves, what do, do these names tell us and show us and reveal to us about the character of God? Because that's what each name does. It points to His character. It points to who He is. It points to what He is. It points to how He deals with us. And that's what we've been doing through this study. And, and today we're coming to the divine name El Olam. El Olam. And that name, that beautiful, wonderful name, means the everlasting God, which is why we sang what we did just a few moments ago. It's the everlasting God or the God of eternity. You could also say the keeper of eternity. El Olam, the keeper of eternity, the God of eternity, the everlasting God. And what that means for us, what that says to us and conveys is that He, our God, is the unchanging God. And He's the only unchanging one in all the universe, in all of time, in all of eternity. He is the unchanging one, the unchanging God who is always available and eternally the same. Isn't that good news this morning? To know that we have a God who is always available. We'll never get a busy signal from Him. He's never not attentive to us. He's eternally available to come to, to cry out to, to find encouragement from, to find strength from, to find hope in. He's always available. He's eternally the same, which no one else can say, no one else can claim. The first time this name is used in Scripture is from, once again, from Abraham. We've talked about him a couple times now. And in Genesis 21-33, in the middle of what is um, a long series of conflict and unfortunate situations and, and change in Abraham's life and change in his family's life and very negative, difficult circumstances, he comes out of making this arrangement, this covenant with the Philistines, and he's in this place called Beersheba. And so what Abraham does as a result of coming through all these changes, changes in his life and uncertainty and now this new covenant with a, a foreign king and people, he decides, I'm going to plant a tree and it's going to serve as a monument, as a reminder to me of who God is, and it's going to serve as a sign for everybody else that passes by 
that they can, they can see this tree and look at it and find a picture in it of who and what God is, of what I know God to be. And so Genesis 21, 33 says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And that's El Olam. Abraham said, you've been with me since you called me out of Ur. You've been faithful to me. You've been consistent with me. You've always been there. I can always depend on you. And I just want to remind myself and everybody else, this is who you are. You are the everlasting God. You are the God of eternity. And so he planted this tree. And the tamarisk tree, fittingly, is an evergreen tree. It's an evergreen tree. And for Abraham... That was a very real picture of the everlasting grace and the everlasting faithfulness of the everlasting God. And we certainly don't need a tree to agree with that or remind ourselves of it, but I would encourage you, get a little creative. Think about maybe what you could do as a family or even just as an individual of what you could establish or set up or put in place somewhere that would remind you of the everlasting faithfulness and grace and goodness of God. Sometimes we need that in our lives. We need visual reminders, visual aids. And so maybe God would have you to do that in some form or fashion, especially in days of such uncertainty that we're continuing to experience. That's what Abraham did. And what he knew of God and what was true of God before Abraham and in Abraham's life is going to be true for us. And what is true of God, all that is true of Him, is eternally true and eternally the same. That's what it means for Him to be El Olam, the the everlasting God, the God of eternity. It means what He has been, He will always be. And that's really good news. That should fill your heart with an abiding sense of hope that you're not going to find anywhere else. You're you're not going to find that in anything or anyone else in this life. He's etern- what, what is true of God and what has always been true will always be true. It'll always be eternally the same. That, that means kind of just in a, in a summary, it means that He is always all-powerful. It means He is always all-knowing. It means He is eternally ever-present. You know, those those basic attributes of God that most of us know and, and have been taught or have heard, um, we, we can know that's always going to be the same. His omnipotence, His all-powerful aspect and nature, that's always going to be true. His omniscience, His all-knowing uh, attribute, it's always going to be the same. And his, the fact that He's omnipresent, that will always eternally be true. That means we can always come to Him and find everything we need. We can look to Him and find our hope. We can look to Him and find courage. We can look to Him and find grace and mercy in every time of need. We can look to Him and find compassion. We can look to Him and find steadfast love, long-suffering, patience like no one else can offer and provide. We can look to Him and find all the wisdom that we need and all the wisdom that we lack and find, as James tells us, as we go to Him and find wisdom and ask for wisdom, He gives liberally to all without criticism, without judgment. And He's always going to do that. Isn't it good to know that you have a God that will never change? Psalm 90, verses 1-2, through describe 
for us in in beautiful way what what that means that we have this God, El Olam, and what that means for us in a practical way, uh, more of a personal way. Psalm 91 through 2, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. I love that word, refuge. Think of, think of a, a ship that's out in the sea in the middle of a, of a hurricane or a raging storm on the sea, and they're being tossed around. Think of even the disciples as they're on the Sea of Galilee and the waves are, are swamping the boat and they're terrified. And they say, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? They found him asleep, right? How could he sleep? How could he have slept in the middle of this raging storm that was about to capsize them? That's what they wanted to know. How can you sleep? Don't you care we're about to die? And the reason Jesus could sleep is because he knew who he was. He didn't have an identity crisis in that moment. He knew that he was also El Olam. He was the same God of, of the Old Testament revealed to Abraham. And he knew that he was absolutely able to get up and say to the storm, stop. Just stop. And it would. It would. Because he was the refuge. He always is the refuge. That's why he could say to the disciples, you of little faith, don't you realize who I am by now? I am your refuge. As long as you're with me, you're fine. You're safe. You can know security. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. See, it wasn't what was true of Abraham was not just true for Abraham. Abraham knew God as El Olam. Abraham experienced God as his refuge. God delivered him from all kinds of problem and trouble and stress and strife and affliction. And he knew God in that way. But it wasn't limited to Abraham. You have been our refuge. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity past to eternity future. That's what is, is meant by this statement. From eternity to eternity. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. You remain the same, he says. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees who kept bringing up Abraham, he said, we are children of Abraham. We don't know where you come from, but we're children of Abraham. And they were so proud of that heritage. And, we, and Jesus said, if you really were, were children of Abraham genuinely, and you knew what it meant to be children of Abraham, and you loved your father Abraham, you would accept me and listen to me and welcome me and love me too, because before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. I'm the constant God of all of eternity. And all through biblical history, we can see this constant reality that, that God is indeed our refuge. That He is a refuge for all that come to Him. That He is a refuge for all that seek Him and know Him and follow Him and walk with Him in their lives. All through biblical history, we can see that constant reality. In the beginning, even as Adam and Eve fell, as they rebelled against El Olam, as they rebelled against God and His holiness and, and all that He had set forth for them, which wasn't very much, even as they fell, God remained their refuge. He put cloths of, of animal skin around them, 
picturing the sacrifice, the atonement for their sin and rebellion. In mercy, he sent them out of the Garden of Eden so that they wouldn't come to the the tree of life and live forever in their sin and in their rebellion and in their separation from him. That's why he sent them out of the garden. In the great flood with Noah, certainly he was a refuge for Noah and his family as they were tossed around on the worldwide flood and and a storm like no one had ever seen. They were safe and secure, not because of the ark, but because God was their refuge and they knew him as their refuge. In Israel's captivity in Egypt and their wanderings in the wilderness after the Exodus, they certainly knew and experienced firsthand all the ways that God was their strong tower and their sense of refuge. In their wars as a nation with the surrounding nations and all the invasions that came into their land, all their deportations, all their exiles, they still knew that God was their refuge. Those that feared Him, those that loved Him, those that worshipped Him, they experienced Him as their strong tower and eternal refuge. In the church's persecutions in the first century and every other century following, the church has always been able to see in the midst of their persecution and suffering that no matter what their tormentors and persecutors do to them, they cannot take away or rob them of the sense of God as their refuge. And many, many times those persecuted say they have experienced God as their constant, as their refuge, more than they ever did before they were persecuted. That they, they sense His presence in their lives in more powerful and sweeter ways than, than ever before because of their persecution. Because God is right there with them in it. In our own recent history, our own just very current and recent history, we can look back and see the same constant reality that no matter what has come our way, no matter what we've been faced with, no matter what we've dealt with or are dealing with, that we can know, just as Abraham did, without a doubt, with absolute conviction, God, you have been and are our refuge. You have been and are our refuge. You, you can, we can say that with absolute certainty. Think, of, uh, think back to the year 2000. Why... Two K. And we were all thinking and we were all singing, even if we didn't know the song, it's the end of the world as we know it. We were all singing that and thinking that and saying that. And all the people were, were trying to get us to think that and say that and believe that. Oh, it's all over. You better run out and, and get 5,000 bottles of water. You know, you might get, get as much peanut butter as you can. I mean, there were rushes on stores. Bread was missing and milk was missing and all the, the, the society was in panic mode. Y2K, it's all over. It's all over. Midnight, 2000. Nope, didn't happen. 2001, 9-11. We remember, most of us remember well that tragedy. You can remember right where you were at that moment. You probably still see in your mind, with very little difficulty, the live footage of those towers falling and everything else that came after that. And it started to feel like maybe this is the end of everything. This is World War III that we're going to see. And panic and, and disillusionment and fear came. God was still our refuge, though, wasn't He? And He brought us through that. 2002, the West Nile virus. 
It was on all the news channels. It was everywhere. West Nile, West Nile. Here's what it can do to you. Here's how you get it. Here's where it's, it's concentrated. And everybody panicked over it. God was our refuge in that. 2003, SARS struck. And again, worldwide panic, worldwide fear. And it, it too reached pandemic levels. God was our refuge right there in the midst of it. God brought us through it. 2008 and 2009, the Great Recession, when all of the economic dependability and stability vanished and, and everybody was panicked and wondered if the Great Recession was going to soon turn into the, another Great Depression. And there was, there was absolute frenzy everywhere and mass hysteria. God brought us through it. He was our refuge in that time. 2009, H1N1, or the swine flu, it was another, that was another pandemic. And everybody was, was wondering, what is, what is this going to mean for us, and how are we going to get through it? God was our refuge then as well. And of course, 2012, it's the end of the world as we know it, with the Mayan calendar, prophecy, remember all that craziness? Oh, the Mayan calendar only, only allows to, for civilization to go to 2012. That's what our calendars are set for. What's going to happen after that? I think it's all going to just go away. It's all going to come to a crashing halt. It's going to end. What are we going to do? Hysteria, panic, frenzy. God was our refuge then. Brought us through it. No problem. Just like Y2K, nothing happened. 2014, the Ebola virus. Another pandemic. God was our refuge. 2015, the ISIS crisis, where everybody wondered what, what was the next area, country, people that ISIS was going to invade. Is there any stopping of ISIS? Yep, there was. God was our refuge. God rescued. 2016, the Zika virus. Everybody is panicked. Everybody's in a, in a sense of frenzy again. God was our refuge. And of course, 2020 coronavirus, the riots, the anarchy. And there's once again a, a palpable sense of panic, of not just wise, common sense precautions, which is good. It's gone way beyond that, right? It's gone to crippling fear. It's gone to people being ruled by fear and by media-induced hysteria. But you know what? God is our refuge. And He'll bring us through this just as He has brought us through everything else. Not just in every age, but in everything, every situation, small and great. El Olam is there. He's there in everything, every situation. He's there as the unchallenged, unchangeable, unshakable God. Do you believe that this morning? God is also Emmanuel, God with us, right? And by being God with us, it means He is with us in all of the characteristics and attributes that He has always had and revealed to His people. He is always with us as the unchallenged, unchangeable, unshakable God. And because of that, because He is that, we can trust Him completely. We can trust Him completely. And only when we do, 
Only when we do trust Him completely can we experience true rest. It's that true rest and peace and calmness that we're all looking for. All of us. Not just the church, but civilization as a whole. They're desperate for it. They're hungry for it. They're starving for it. And it's only found in turning to and depending on the God who is El Olam. Here's what Isaiah 26, 3-4 says. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Isn't that a great statement? Perfect peace. That's why Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross, as he told them, I'm going to the cross, I am going to die, I'll rise again, but I'm going to ascend to the Father, I will be leaving you. But he said, don't worry, because my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, or not as the world can give, I give you peace. And it's that perfect peace he was talking about. The perfect peace of God which surpasses, exceeds, blows out of the water all understanding. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. See that connection? That's the only way to experience perfect peace is to have complete trust in the God who provides that perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord, the Lord Himself is an everlasting rock. An everlasting rock that no matter what waves beat against it, it doesn't erode, it doesn't break apart. No matter what changes around it, it remains the same. It's like the rock of Gibraltar. You know, it's just there. It's Mount Everest. It's not going anywhere, right? No matter what storms come and go, it's still there. It's solid as ever. That's, that's the God we have, the everlasting rock. No matter what is around us, no matter what we experience. And what that means for us is this. Circumstances change, but they don't change God. Circumstances change, but they don't change God. And that's what it is to live in this world and in this life. It's constant change. It's circumstances changing left and right all the time. Circumstances change in every, every sense of, of our existence, right? I mean, that's, that's our reality. To be human is to experience constant change of your circumstances. Not just from one year to the next, but sometimes from one minute to the next, Circumstances are constantly changing. That's really one of the only constants in our existence is that circumstances are going to change. The other constant, though, is that it never will change God and that He never changes. No matter how much society changes and tries to change, it won't change God. No matter what society tries to make the new norm, no matter what society tries to take away and rewrite in our history, no matter what society tries to destroy and break down and refashion and reform and remake, it will never be able to change God. You know, there's now a push for um, the statues being torn down to include any statue of Jesus. Have you guys seen that, heard that in the news? There's now this concerted effort, this push 
for uh, any statues of Christ, you know, that have been around for a long time to be torn down because they too now are apparently symbols of white supremacy, you know, and, and racist uh, attitude. And so they say, away with them. It's an oppressive thing. It's oppression on our culture and our society. So let's just destroy all those. And you know what? I mean, I say, go ahead and, and let them do it because it's not going to in any way change who Jesus is. It's not going to change what he is. It's not going to cease him from being the same God that we're talking about here, the same God as, as revealed in the Old Testament, the same one who was God incarnate walking among us, revealing all that is God to all of his people and who we can know personally just as much today. It's not going to change him at all. So we don't need to be afraid of that. I mean, it's terrible to ruin more property, and, and uh, of course, the mindset is awful and toxic and insane, but, you know, if they tear down a statue, it does nothing to my confidence in my Savior. People in every age and time have needed the God who is El Olam. But for us living in this age, I think it's safe to say that now during our time, more than at any other time, the world needs this God, perhaps more than ever. And I believe they feel that need. They feel it. They feel it in the core of their being. But rather than turning to Him, they are trying to replace Him with other things, with other avenues. And they're never going to find what they're looking for. They're never going to find fulfillment because it's only found in this God. And we need that God too. And if you're in Christ, you have Him. If you're in Christ Jesus today, you have El Olam as your God. Because Christ is the way you, you come to see and know and experience this name, this divine name, in all of its weight, in all of its power. The other thing that is true about this eternal God, El Olam, is that He is eternally revealed and known in and through His eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you come to know Him. His, his everlasting nature, all of the attributes that are, that are His, you get to know those, you get to experience those through Jesus Christ. And that's the other thing that's true of this eternal God, is that He is eternally at work in mankind. He never stops working. And we've seen evidence of that recently. We've seen two foster children, foster kids, realize, I need this God. I want to know this God. And in their, in their own heart, in their own mind, by the work and the power of the Spirit, they realized, if I'm going to know this God, I've got to know Jesus. Because only through Jesus can I know God. And they've realized that. And then they've acted on that realization by committing their lives to the living, reigning Christ, who is God in the flesh, who is Emmanuel, who is always the revealer of all that God is. We, we just had recently the baptism of Alex. Is Alex here? Is he here? Can he stand up just on, his, on the chair even? Just like stand up for us? Yep. Alex. That's about what we're going to get. It's okay. He, he's shy, and that's all right. Alex, we, we just baptized a couple weeks ago, and we baptized him not so that he would 
become a Christian by being baptized. We baptized him because he became a Christian. And he gave his life to Jesus. And we celebrated that. And then, shortly after that, on Father's Day, very fitting, Trey, who has been with the Hills now, how long has Trey? Six months? Trey had been thinking and had been experiencing the work of God in his life, and he had been asking questions. And on the ride over to church on Father's Day, he was asking a lot of questions of Matthew as they rode together. And after church, as they went home, Trey gave his heart, his mind, his life, his whole person to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trey, can you stand up for us? So we've got Trey and Alex. Trey and Alex. And at Alex's baptism, after that, uh, I think it was Chris Ham came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, I, I have God in my heart. I really want to get baptized too because I'm already trusting Him as my Savior, so I need to do what Alex did. Don't ever doubt if God is still at work. God is always at work. God is always at work in a miraculous way of raising the dead to life, because that's what every salvation is. And He is constantly at work. He is always El Olam. And He's always revealing Himself in that way. And He always reveals Himself in that way through His Son, Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 through 1-3 tells us this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. That's why Jesus said to Philip, when Philip said, just show us the Father, Jesus, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, are you kidding me? Have you been with me this long and you don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? If you hear my words, you've heard from the Father. Not because He and the Father were the same person, but because they were of the same exact nature and purpose and all the attributes and characteristics of the Father were present in the Son. The exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, something only one who is divinity, something only one who is God could do. Hebrews 1, 7-12, speaking of the superiority of Jesus, far above any other being, As mighty and holy and tremendous as angels are, Jesus eclipsed them infinitely. Here's what the writer says. About the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. Yeah, they're mighty, they're strong, but they don't hold a candle to their maker, Jesus. But to the Son, your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, speaking of the relationship with the Son to the Father, the difference of the Son from the Father, two separate persons, but one divine nature, one God, this is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, You established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands, which John 1 and Colossians 1 also verify. They will perish, but you remain. 
They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same and your years will never end. Hebrews 13.8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means for us, my fellow Christian, is this. Jesus isn't surprised by your past, stopped by your present, or scared of your future. Jesus knows all about your past, all of it, and loves you anyway. He knows what you need in the present and is with you in it and gives you strength to go through it. And He guides you into the future which He already went ahead of you into. That's what it means to know this God. It means that you can trust Him with all of it, all of your life, all of your fears and all of your apprehensions, all of your situations and circumstances that constantly change, all that's out there in the world, all that's in your own heart and your own mind. You can trust Him with all of it because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that this morning? Great. Amen. And now, here's what you do with that. You go out and you, you broadcast that. You proclaim it. You live it. You speak it out to a world that doesn't believe that, but desperately needs to. That's what is before us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being El Olam, the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the keeper of eternity. And thank you, Father, for revealing that not just by your name, El Olam, in your word, but ultimately, perfectly revealing that in the person and work of your son, Jesus. By by coming to Jesus and by knowing him as our personal Savior and Lord, we come to know this name. We come to see it. We come to experience it, just like Abraham did and all the others that we read about and all the, the people who went before us walking a life of faith. We can know you in the same way they did. And even more, really, because we have the indwelling Spirit. It is all because of Jesus that we're alive. It is in Jesus that we see and know that you are the everlasting God. May that fill us with hope. May that fill us with encouragement. But may it also fill us with a a hunger and a burden and a passion to go out and proclaim you, El Olam, to a world who is desperate for you. Keep us coming back to yourself. Keep us remembering who and what you are. And help us and empower us to live out that belief, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen.